right? So what what are we going to do when the shit hits the fan to first and foremost, feel our feelings, allow ourselves to get emotional, but then be like, okay, I got to get back in the pocket so that I can make the right call. Hello and welcome back to another episode of High Vibe in It and another manifesting tip sponsored by my book, Letters to the Universe, which is a scripting and manifestation journal. So here's a pro tip for today. Whenever you're doing self-inquiry before you go to manifest something, obviously it's important to ask yourself questions like, what do I want? What do I really want? Why do I really want this thing to get deep down to the core? But another really special and insightful and powerful question you can ask yourself is, why haven't I created this already? Why haven't I received this already? Why haven't I experienced this already? And not to answer it in a judgmental way, but to be open and to see if any information comes to you. Because information could come in the form of like, oh, well, I haven't really taken any action towards this goal now that I think about it. Or I've been really scared to go for it, so makes sense why nothing's really coming to fruition. Or whatever it is that comes to you. So ask yourself that question, stay open, and if you want more self-inquiry for your manifesting journal, check out Letters to the Universe to get scripting today. Hello, hello, have vibe in it, homies. Thanks for joining us for another awesome episode of High Vibe Knit. Today, we have a lovely guest who you may already know and may already love like we do. So we're super excited to have her on, Miss Chris Carr. She's a New York Times bestselling author, a wellness leader, and a cancer thriver. And she's generally just a really cool, badass lady. So we're going to talk about a lot of topics I think that we normally talk about, but go in depth and get Chris's unique perspective. So Chris, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, gals. This is a gas already. Heck yeah. <laughs> I guess. I just like to keep it ca- casual, you know, have fun, uh, yeah. keep it real. So yeah, just hanging with the high vibe and at homies. So Linz, I'll let you yeah. do your thing. Go ahead and ask your first question. I know you're dying to ask. Well, everybody knows now on the call and now the audience knows that I'm actually a really big fan of crazy sexy Chris so I want to hear uh for anyone that doesn't know if you if you don't know you're about to be educated but what kind of brought you to this sphere what's your story I'm intrigued that you say cancer thriver so for those that don't know what that is maybe you could define it but I just want to hear for anyone that doesn't know all about you and your journey Whatever you want to tell us. (laughs) Absolutely. Let me give you the nutshell top sheet. So I have been living with stage four cancer for 20 years. So that's why I call myself a cancer thriver. What? What? Wait, (laughs) hang on. 20 years? 20 years, 20 years. And so that's how this whole journey began. I was in a very different job. I had a very different lifestyle. Fiber was something I would be interested in later in life. I wasn't like on the high vibe in it trail or path. I was like super low vibe in it. That was kind of my MO. And then I got diagnosed with this incurable stage four cancer in 
2003 on Valentine's Day. Okay, not to be insensitive, but how are you not dead? <laughs> like, has anyone ever, have you, how, you, you hear about stage four and you're like, oh, you better go to hospice, right? Like, th- it's, it's, this well, is what's happening. So like, what's, what's going on? Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry about that. I'm sorry. Just hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder how I how I actually made it before cancer. You know, I'm like, you were doing that? How are you not right. dead? Um, well, I have a very slow growing mercurial cancer and it's very rare and and not a lot is known about it. Um, and so here's the thing. Sometimes my disease can be slow growing and sometimes it can be aggressive right. and sometimes it can change at any given moment. So unlike a lot of diseases or cancer specifically, where, you know, you hope that there's treatment options, you hope you go into remission, you know, you hope it doesn't come back, all these things a lot of that isn't available to me. So treatment options aren't available to me. Remission is not available to me at this time. And so what I have been doing for the last 20 years is learning how to participate in my well-being and take care of myself. I'm on a watch and wait protocol, which is basically what it says. I watch, I wait, I get, you know, checked. But one of the genius things that my doctor said to me two decades ago was you're going to watch and live in between. And that was the inciting incident. That was the moment that changed everything around. Now, just to go back to your point of why am I still alive? <laughs> I, how? Maybe not why, because we all know why you're here to do good work, but maybe just how, because maybe I just don't know what stage four means. I don't well, know if society four- really knows. <laughs> Yeah, stage four is usually when it leaves the primary site, right? So if it spreads different organs, that's when the stages start to change, right? Gotcha. And so mine is it is as advanced as it can get, and yet it's slow growing. So right now my disease is currently what's called indolent. So it's it's to the best of my knowledge until I go back to the hospital, there's nothing really happening. It's just kind of hanging out. And so that's the hope that it continues to hang out. I do love watch and live. That's beautiful. I wish more doctors were like that. <laughs> watch and yeah, live. Yeah, I do too. Look, I had to work very hard to find my second in command. So I treat everything like it's a business. And that was the first time I became the CEO. And I was like, I need to hire, fire, build a team. Right. Good bedside manner. You need to have your finger in the pulse of research. And if this yeah. is going to work, you're going to move on org because I'm going to find somebody else. <laughs> Girl, I am on I that love train that. with you. I've been uh, like on a cervical healing and wellness journey because I have, well, maybe I don't have it anymore. I have to go back, but um, I've been struggling with cervical dysplasia. And in the US, all the doctors are like, oh, you need to get a leap procedure, AKA you need to have it removed. But I was doing all this research and in pretty much every other country besides the United States, they say if you're under 30 and you're healthy, chances of it going away by itself Mm. are like 80%, like highly likely that you won't have to do anything. Just continue on, be healthy. It'll go away on its own. So everyone's trying to like cut up my cervix and I'm not down with it. So I've been literally, I've already gone through three doctors Mm. and I did get consulted with one in Mexico who told me like, yeah, you're fine. Just wait. Let's keep an eye on it and see if anything gets worse or better. But it's crazy. Like, it's so sad too, to think that like, I feel like 
And I don't know if you felt like this, like you can't trust doctors. They don't always have your best well-being in mind. They're just trying to practice on you. They're just trying to make money from you. And it's just like this whole system that just feels like, Ugh, yeah. what am I to do? I didn't go to medical school. <laughs> I need right. somebody I can trust that knows. I mean, too. so it's, it's, I get it. It's I have three very different birth experiences and I can tell you hundred percent when I went for the home birth or the midwife versus the big hospital, like completely different, completely different. Mm. I just think once you know you have options, once you get in the driver's seat, right? And decide that like, oh, I have skin and I have a lot of skin in the game. I think I need to make decisions for myself. So many people don't know to do that. I didn't when yeah. I had my first kid. I just listened to whatever they told me and it was it was what it was. <laughs> it was yeah. You know, and I think that once you can once you can know that you have options, once you let that light bulb go off like, oh, maybe Maybe I don't have to get a surgical procedure. Maybe I can have a, a nice peaceful birth where everybody's happy kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Then I think it changes everything. I, you know, it's yeah. great. I would say it comes down to the right fit because yeah. there's uh, so many good people out there and there's people yes. who have their finger on the pulse of like other opportunities for your healing and thriving and natural processes and, and whatnot. And so uh, that's why you both are empowered participants, right? You're empowered patients. And that's what we need to create more of. And each and every one of us needs to understand that we can become that. I don't think that they're the enemy. I just think that like every pot has a lid, you know, and I'm like, oh, you ain't my lid. Okay, good. We're going to go on. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> I like that. If Lindsay now that, says something's cute, that's like the highest compliment. It is, by if, the way, because I'm, I'm picturing like when you carve a pumpkin, and if you don't carve the lid just right, it just it's a skew, mm. you know. Anyway, I think that's that is so cool. Yeah, you got to find the right lid that matches. That's yeah, nice. your pot. You're not the right one. Okay, I am really sorry that I diverted us, but you were talking. That's what started you on the journey. So you go. I'll just sit and listen nicely. So that's what started me on the journey. It was literally like this watch and wait, watch and live approach. And I left the hospital, true story that day. And I went straight to Whole Foods with like mascara running down my face. And I walked in and I was like, this place is fucked up. I don't understand how it works in any way, shape or form. And there's way too many vegetables. And I'm horrified official, official. <laughs> and I was like, well, so what? <laughs> Suck it up buttercup, because this is your new playground. And that's literally where I started. And in the beginning, I didn't know what I was doing. Like I, again, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of um, experience in this lifestyle. And um, so I just started by buying cookbooks and by experimenting in the kitchen. And I started with food because it was the one thing that I thought I could control and cancer felt so out of control. I was desperately searching for something that I could do. And so that's the natural place that I chose. And the truth was, is that I wasn't feeling great cancer out, you know, aside from cancer. And as I started to change my diet, first and foremost, I started to have more energy. My digestion was improving. My immune system was strengthening. And I was like, this feels good. Let me keep going. Where is this going to take me? And it has taken me to some of the most beautiful, deep, healing, spiritual, human places that I had no idea I would even have the opportunity to touch if life didn't throw me a big curveball. Wow. 
If that's not a selling point to eat your vegetables, I don't know what is at this point. I know how you feel though. I walk into Whole Foods or Trader Joe's and I'm like, I don't know where to go. I, I wish I belonged here and I, I don't eat terrible, but it's just, it's, I think it's the layout. Like you feel like you're walking in on someone's club and you're like, I don't know where to go, what to do. Um, but I'm glad that you stuck with it. How long would you say that it took you to feel comfortable uh, in this new kind of lifestyle? I mean, I, it, it, it was a process because at first I was overwhelmed. Like when, whenever we make any big changes in our life, especially when we're up against the ropes, I was driven by fear. So there wasn't a lot of comfort, but I, you know, doing this 20 years now, it's still a practice. And I think now when I'm, when I hit edges, my own edges, I just have better tools about how to soften them and, and cope with them. But I'd say it was a couple of years before I really felt as though, okay, I, I kind of understand the places that I need to put my attention um, and, and understanding that again, like I just said, it's a practice. Yeah. I love it. Yay. Yay for food and healing. So when did like the emotional aspect come into play? The emotional aspect was there from day one because getting diagnosed with a in, you know, terminal incurable disease is a trauma response, yeah. right? I mean, that's traumatic. And so whether I was aware of it or not, um, I was being called to go deep. Um, and I would say that it was probably about six months into my journey of ch changing to a whole foods plant-based diet and kind of getting my sea legs before I realized that it's not just about what I'm eating. It's also about what's eating me and what's eating me is a boatload of fear. What am I going to do to just even manage this so that I feel like my head's above water? Um, and that's when I started meditating. I, I went to a incredible Zen monastery and checked myself in. I was like, you all seem to know something about peace and I don't. So hi, I'm going to come here and stay here for a bit. <laughs> and they were like, welcome, welcome pilgrim. <laughs> wow. So what was that like? Terrifying. You know, like <laughs> terrifying and painful, painful emotionally and my knees. Um, you know, you're just like, you're sitting in meditation for endless hours. So I, I tend to do things at the extreme and at the, my life was so out of control. It was very extreme back then. And so I thought, well, this is the place to be, but within a very short period of time of actually learning how to practice and being in a place that um, was so healing and, and, and helpful for me, I started to feel better than I'd ever felt. Like I was like, I think I came back from that summer and people were like, you're radiant. What the F is going on? Like you've been diagnosed, you're Those monks. It's the monks and the green juice and like, this is the way, you know? And then not long after that, I started to write my, my journals, right? My, my first book came out of the journals. Cause I was like, I want to document all the things that I'm experiencing right now. If you're ready to start manifesting more money, which I mean, let's be real. Who isn't you're in luck because I'm giving away a bomb guided meditation if I do say so myself, that will help you to do just that for free. 
in the money meditation, I'm guiding you through my special process for aligning with the frequency of abundance, releasing your resistance and manifesting that money, honey. Personally, I've used this process to manifest 28K months, new income streams, a way better job for my husband, book sales, you name it. People who have been using the meditation are messaging me saying they got surprise bonuses, new opportunities out of nowhere, clarity on their next steps, money breakthroughs, more clients in a week than they would normally have in a month, and a bunch of other cool stuff. So needless to say, it's a super, super powerful energy shifter. So go grab yours while it's still free at kelseyaida.com slash mm freebie. And I'll have the link for you guys in the description. Happy money manifesting. I, I have a question and I don't know if it's going to make sense. I love you, Kelsey. Thank you for bearing with me here. Um, but but I but I if you can answer it, I think it would be very uh, powerful for certain ears. So I would I would ask it this way: When you went into the monastery, knowing what you knew or not knowing what you didn't know, when you left, I guess my question would be: What did you understand about yourself, the universe, existence, maybe? that you didn't understand going in or that you never let yourself understand. Is that making sense? Yeah, that makes okay. sense. Um, I'd say the most practical thing is that that I had more of a say over where my thoughts went than I realized. Mm -hmm. So there's that great saying, you can't choose your first thought, but you can choose your second. And I was like, wait, you can choose your thoughts? What do you mean? <laughs> like, I live in a horror show. I can change the channel. Excuse me. You know, and so that's probably the big aha there of like, wow, here I am flooded with emotions. Here I am ruminating. Here I am living in a, you know, stress cycle and cortisol spike. I actually have an ability to change that that will will affect me at the physiological level. It'll change how I'm feeling emotionally, mentally but it'll also change what my body is being exposed to, which is a flood of stress hormones, which, which creates an inflammatory effect in my body. So I was like, whoa, this is what the mind-body connection is all about. This is fantastic. <laughs> so I, so what does that look like in your day-to-day -day life now, being at the stage you are in your journey now, if you do have, I mean, do you? I'm sure you must, you're a human, you must have thoughts that come in and you're like, oh, oh yeah, I don't like that. So how did that look for you now uh, to change the second thought? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. My, my, so my, um, this morning we had a very heavy rain and I've got some drainage issues and my garage was like a little bit flooded and I have this big squeegee and I brought my husband and I was like, the garage is a little flooded, which means the basement couldn't flood. And we just finished our basement. And, and I was like, okay, we got to squeegee this out. And so I opened the garage door and he was like, no, don't do it. It was like in slow motion. Yeah. Literally this ocean poured into our garage. Oh no. <laughs> ocean, which then seeped into the basement with the finished TV room. Like literally. That happened today? This morning. And you still showed up? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. With good hair. Right. <laughs> so I, my husband screamed, oh, bloody murder. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I opened the door and opened the floodgates. And um, 
it was about two hours of remediation and me i called the fire department i was like help you get cats out get of the tree. monks somebody get the monks you must come <laughs> you must come and they're like ma'am what's the problem i'm like water everywhere <laughs> so yeah there's a lot of moments not just because i think about life in the world and my own you know problems or my own past griefs and traumas and and whatnot and all the places that we go but i think life gives you moments quite often where you have the opportunity to practice you know and so the first thought was holy cow you can all, say whatever you want by the all way. the expletives <laughs> and then like running around and calling people in panic um, and then it was like, okay, well, you know what? There's nothing you can do about this right now other than wait for help to arrive and to do this, that, and the other thing and to take a deep breath and to maybe even like we started to laugh about it because we're in literally in our underwear running around like lunatics, splashing water everywhere. And, and so you can see how you can start to change your behavior even in the middle of a shitstorm. Yeah. Right. Not maybe not at the top of this shit storm because I am not the Dalai Lama, but like eh, 10 minutes into the shit storm, I was like, wow, it's great to be wet. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. I like that. There's nothing you can do about it. I've been having to practice that a lot. There's nothing I can do right now. There's, and if I, I like the saying, if you just worry, then you're suffering twice. Yeah, because truth, you're absolutely right about that. And here's the thing is like, we make better decisions. So I made the decisions to call the right people because I could just take a deep breath and kind of get a little bit grounded and kind of, and say, okay, there's no way I could get the water out, but I do need, I need professional re remediation right now. And I'm going to like get myself calm and start making calls. And then an hour later, we had the right people here. Right. So what what are we going to do when the shit hits the fan to first and foremost, feel our feelings, allow ourselves to get emotional, but then be like, okay, I got to get back in the pocket so that I can make the right call. That's great. Yeah. Love it. We're always talking about on the show, feeling your feelings, feeling mm -hmm. is healing, how to process in a way where you're not hurting anyone else. You're not hurting yourself. Yeah. But I would love to talk with you specifically about the feeling of grief because yeah. I know that that is a specialty yes. of yours these days as far as something that you've been working through and learning a lot about. So could you maybe just, I'm just gonna leave this as an open-ended question. Like what are some of the most important or key things that you've learned about grief that have helped you to have a better relationship with it? Yeah, that's a great question. So I just wrote a book, it's called I'm Not a Morning Person and it's out maybe whenever this releases, it'll be out or it's in pre-sales. But um, this was the one emotion I didn't want to go near. So you, thank you for asking the questions that you just asked that that brought us here. So doing a lot of deep work, mind, body, spirit, a lot of self-healing, do a lot of teaching, you know, here I am 15 years in, and there's still one thing I don't want to touch, whether I'm conscious of it or not. And it's grief. Understandable. And, yeah, it is understandable. And, and so to your point, what are some of the things that we don't know? Well, I think that we we are steeped in, we are domesticated by a grief-phobic, messy emotions-averse society. 
So that means many of us don't necessarily have the tools that would help us navigate storms of the magnitude that we may face in our lives. And each and every one of us will face it at some point because I talk about ruptures in the book. It's the moment the diagnosis happens. It's the moment your spouse leaves. It's the moment you realize that, you know, you've had a miscarriage. It's just when you lose your job, you lose a loved one, right? Those are ruptures and ruptures change us. They rearrange us. And will we be the same after a rupture? No, we won't be the same, right? But ruptures also have the power to realign us in ways and to point us in sometimes the direction of a more meaningful, impactful life, because I think they give us perspective. They remind us of what matters and um, they may even reawaken buried desires, um, you know, core values and, and, and such. And for me, the pathway to that was allowing myself to learn more about grief, embrace my, my grief, understand that there isn't a timeline in grief. There isn't a like, Hey, it's been two weeks, you know, <laughs> get perky, you know, that that doesn't exist. And yet in our society, there's a lot of outside pressures. There's, I wrote a chapter called awkward times, awkward people. And it's about the stuff that, you know, you may say unconsciously, or maybe somebody said to you that can be really hurtful. And, and what we realize is, is that, well, we're all doing the best that we can, and we're probably going to make a bunch of mistakes, but what I have come to understand with all of our emotionals, our emotional uh, life and, and feelings is that there's emotional anatomy, right? And so when we become more emotionally literate, we start to understand what our feelings are actually trying to tell us and teach us and what may be underneath them too, that's calling out for more attention. And so to go back to your core question, because I know that was probably a lot, grief is a master healer. The life that we want to manifest, the vibes that we want to put out in the world and we want to attract, we have to go to some of the places that scare us. Otherwise, we're putting lip gloss on problems. Might look cute for a minute. Don't work. But okay, it don't work. <laughs> and so that was that's what this journey of writing this book and sharing the stories in the book and also the teachings of the book is about. It's really like saying, hey, you can do this. I'm going to hold your hand. We're going to go to some of these places together, but I promise on the other side is more freedom. And relief. And relief. Yeah. yeah. And yes, a hundred percent relief. And it's, it's not relief from the pain necessarily, because sometimes the pain will still be there, but it's relief from the fear that the pain causes and the barrier that it creates to fully living. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. And relief from any unnecessary suffering, right? Because it's one thing to be suffering from something painful that happens or, um, you know, something really traumatic that happens to you is going to cause a reaction of pain. Of course, that's a painful thing. But then when we layer on the stories of this means that I'll never mm -hmm. be happy again, this means that I'm not good enough. This means that I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to avoid this pain or trying to numb it. Like it's all those extra things that I think going there and going through the feeling in, you know, a healthy, supportive space it makes you unafraid like how you said and then you're free from all that other stuff that didn't actually have to do with the 
actual traumatic event that hurt you and you can just befriend your pain and give it a big hug Mm, that's beautiful I I think we forget that all emotions are just trying to protect us in some way or problem solve or soothe us or defend us or you know take care of us somehow it's just the signal gets mistranslated and we get the wrong message and we as Kelsey said make it mean something else yeah Um, yeah, I agree with you I would say, especially as women too, because there's a bunch of emotions that society has sort of uh, made us feel as though we're not allowed to experience or share with the world. And I have a chapter that's called Becoming Unbecoming, and it's all about rage and the wisdom of anger. And <laughs> it's unbecoming because I, you know, there's a funny story at the top of my book, but my grandmother, who who was one of my, you know, primary caregivers um, grew up in a very different time. And Mm -hmm. she used to say that certain behaviors were unbecoming for ladies, Mm -hmm. right? Like anger and, you know, not to cry. And, you know, like I, I, I joke, cause I was like, I I don't think I farted until my mid forties when I realized (laughs) I had free will, you know what I mean? Cause that was unbecoming, you know? So it's like, wait a minute, we have to take back some of these Um, emotions and behaviors, because without them, we are literally trying to be whole people, but there's pieces of ourselves that are missing. Yeah. We're disowning parts that we, we don't, we don't have to do that. My mom is mom. I love you. I think she's like 73 and she, same thing. I grew up with her like saying, don't sit like that. Or, you know, she'd pinch my cheeks to give me blush. Yeah. When I was a kid. Yeah. (laughs) That's my my child. It's just, a, you know, you have to hold space that they did grow up in a different time. And at the same time, I love that it is kind of my responsibility to just make sure that anything that I don't want to bring into the next generation just kind of gets nixed right here and now. Because I think that we do have, uh, we take a minute to honor that they, they grew up in a different society, but this is the society I'm living in and I get to decide what is unbecoming. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I love that. That's so good. I love talking about emotions. I like to think about emotions yeah. as messengers, usually of wisdom, usually of personal truths, but also as ex- like just the experience of human life. Like sometimes when I'm so sensitive, which like I have like so much cancer in my chart, so I'm super like watery and emotional. And I'll be like, coach this sensitivity. But then other days you're like, man, life is so much richer. Like what if I didn't have any feelings? What if I was right? Dumb? What if I just felt like blah all the time? Like if you only felt one singular emotion all the time, you wouldn't have any contrast to really feel what you're even feeling. So it would just be always the same and boring. And like, who wants to ride that roller coaster? Nobody. Nobody goes on those rides at the fair that are just like so lame, right? Unless you're like with a baby and you got to be gentle, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think we all knowingly like in our soul signed up for, yeah. (laughs) an experience and you can't have the experience without the feelings that come with the experience so you know we all have our relationship to certain emotions that varies depending on the day but I just love celebrating them for the value that they bring to our life I I wish I had presence of mind to do that more because it's only after the fact that I go through it that I'm like you know I can yeah that was that wasn't so bad that was fine so you don't like feel alive sometimes when you're like really sad. You like listen to that sad song. And you're like, ah. like sometimes I'm like, this is oh, so gosh. good. Like on the inside. 
I cannot listen to me. Here's my thing. Kelsey's like, I'm going to celebrate the spectrum of emotion. And I'm like, I'm going to avoid music. <laughs> because if I listen to a happy song, I will feel the happiness in my tear ducts. If I listen to a sad song, same thing, romantic song, don't care. Uh, it will, it will affect, like, I can't function. <laughs> I'm working on it, but it is, it is funny. And I don't, I don't, uh, avoid it necessarily like there are moments when I will just like I need to listen to music but it's funny that you brought up music because yeah that's the thing I if I'm gonna feel anything it's gonna be because there's a song on um oh god no I feel stuff <laughs> hold on <laughs> I'm realizing that no it's not just with music I do feel things but with music in particular I don't know what it is it kind of gets me I don't I don't like it it's all the time art Lindsay it's it is to it is you. art <laughs> I know. Maybe I should be dancing while I listen to it to move the energy out. Just dancing. Well, I love that you just person. use the word energy because honestly, that's what our emotions mm -hmm. are. They're energy. And what I would share is when you have any of those experiences and you're resistant to any feelings, <laughs> or you're like afraid to go into those feelings, then like that's your opportunity to be a little detective because one of the, the key, you know, relationships in my life is my relationship to myself. So in physical yes. form, right, I think it's the deepest relationship that you can have. And so if you want to learn more about yourself, if you want to understand yourself better, if you want to be able to practice more compassion, if you want to be able to forgive yourself when you, you behave a certain way and you wish you could have taken it back and you can't, right? If you want that kind of experience, then investigating those emotions is how you're going to go there. Like yesterday I did something in a meeting and I had a little shame hangover afterwards because I was a little aggressive and, just, and, I like, <laughs> and I was like, what, why did you do that? You know what I mean? I felt this little like jolt of shame. Like you didn't have to be such a dick. Why did you do that? Right. And then I was like, well, why did you do that? Actually? What was under there? Can we talk about that? Can we get curious about it? Can I do a little self-soothing? Can I be like, you're good. You're okay, kid. Slap you on the ass and keep on going. Right. But that's literally the practice of befriending and working with yourself. Right. So how do we take the concept of befriending our befriending ourselves and our emotions and put work boots on that concept? And in my life, that's how. Hey, Lindsay here. Have you seen what's new inside my Align Your Mind membership? Members already get instant access to my best hypnotherapy audios, mindset hacks, manifesting methods, and more on demand right at their fingertips. But now when you join AYM, you'll also get a major VIP level upgrade with my brand new goal-focused hypnotherapy toolkits. These toolkits inside AYM are carefully curated hypnotherapy bundles designed with your specific goals in mind. Whether you desire to call in more money consistently, get out of the mindset rut that you're in, renew your passion and confidence, manifest with more ease and power, cultivate more self-love and inner knowing, or finally release the burdens from your past and heal, once your subconscious mind is on board with your goal, it's a done deal, and that's what my toolkits are designed to do for you. So if you're ready to rewire your mind, release what's holding you back, and manifest your desires with ease, the AYM membership is where it's at. Just hit the link in the episode description and start embodying your highest potential. Yeah, I think curiosity is so underrated and not talked about enough. So I'm glad you wrote this book. I'm sure it's in there somewhere to get curious. <laughs> and uh, people just don't realize that if you can just put on like your curiosity helmet for yeah. like five seconds, that opens up a whole world of information where you can completely shift your relationship with yourself. Because 
the curiosity naturally, if it's genuine and you're like, okay, I really want to understand, like, why did I get triggered? What, what was I thinking before I started feeling that feeling? What caused me to feel like shit, you know, like let's figure it out, you know? And when you get curious, I feel like that naturally leads to more understanding, which naturally leads to more compassion, which naturally leads to more inner peace. And it's just like this beautiful spiral Mm -hmm. into a more peaceful, content place where you are understanding of yourself, forgiving of yourself, and just having more peace and compassion. Because I think people always are like, oh, I need to forgive myself, but I don't know how. And they're like, oh, I got to forgive myself. I feel this pressure to forgive myself. I know, like, I need to love myself. But they're like, well, how can I forgive myself for something I don't approve of that I did? And it's like, well, you have to understand why you did it. So you have to get curious, you know, what happened before the event. So I'm with you. Curiosity all the way. And curiosity, automatically, just the word takes away the need for judgment. Just mm-hmm. saying I'm curious versus like, why'd you do that? It's like, well, why, why? Huh? Let's get some answers. Let's explore, explore, not judge. I think just using a different word sometimes has a different energy to it. So it can help yeah. you kind of do that objectively. Well said. Yeah. Well, it's two very different vibrations. You can't really simultaneously be in the vibration of curiosity and judgment yeah. at the same time. So it's like, if you can switch exactly. into curiosity mode, you naturally will let go of that judgment. And it's that much easier to understand and make some progress and gather some good, good intel, insight. I was going to say Intel. Insight. That works. Intel works. Okay. Yeah. Data. Data, 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 personal data about the personal, <laughs> about the programming that's going on in your body and your mind and your spirit. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask on the spirit of improving your relationship with yourself, what are some of the things that you tell yourself when you're going through an uncomfortable or painful experience that help you? Mm. Or ones that don't help you, just to set an example of what mm. not to say <laughs> to myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to kind of keep that inner monologue private, but um, it, it's <laughs> kind of things that I can find myself saying. We um, all know, we do it, we all do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, I think some of the tools that have been helpful for me are first and foremost, understanding like what we were talking about, understanding the sort of landscape of our emotions and having a more emotional literacy. And so I can say, oh, wait a minute, this is fear. And oh, this is anxiety. This is the difference between the two. Fear comes on in an instant. It has a beginning, middle, and an end. A deer jumps out in front of you. You swerve. You get a surge of stress hormones. There's going to be a hangover period afterwards where your body has to, you know, regulate. And that's fear. More often than not, we think that we are fearful. I I speak for myself. I would say that I, you know, I could be more of of a fearful person. Actually, I struggle with anxiety more than fear. And I, I know that now because I learned the difference between the two. So anxiety can mirror fear. It can look a lot like fear, but it's, it's not actually coming on in an instant and having a beginning, middle and end, right? Anxiety is about is more of a rumination. It's more of a fear about what may or may not happen in the future. And so we find ourselves in these places where we're telling ourselves stories and very often they're not fairy tales, they're horror movies. And when I am in a horror movie and I'm not making the kind of paycheck that Stephen King is, so that's (laughs) like, wait a minute, where's the bank? Where's the bank if I'm going to stay in this movie? 
then I can say, all right, well, how do I get myself out of this place? First, I realize that I'm in the future. I realize I'm someplace else. How can I bring myself back to the present moment? How do I first and foremost change the channel, right? So we are in mental rot. It's almost like if you've ever seen a dog licking a hot spot, you have to help the dog change the channel. So for me, it might be like taking a deep breath. It could be doing box breathing. It could be doing a 10 minute hit workout with one of my favorite you know, online video memberships and stuff like that. <laughs> I was about to say like, put it in the VCR and do one, <laughs> right? You know, like, what are you doing, grandma? Get a VHS. <laughs> but, but anyway, the point is, is that changing the channel, going for a quick walk, calling my girlfriend, hey, you know, my best friend and I, we have like a whole emoji language. And when we send each other an ambulance emoji, emoji I don't give a shit if you're on the stage with Oprah, you're going to get your ass off that stage. You're going to call me. <laughs> Okay, because I just sent you an ambulance emoji and this is our friendship, right? And so it's the same with her. And it's because we're like, oh, an ambulance emoji means I'm spiraling down a negative thought, you know, cyclone, or, you know, maybe something really bad did happen. So, but the point is, is that we need to be able to come back to our right mind um, because in that moment, we're kind of out of our mind. And so those are some of the practices that help me specifically around anxiety. But I'd say that a lot of our other emotions actually benefit from those too, which is basically like, first and foremost, stopping and becoming aware. Um, okay, this is what I'm experiencing. This is what's happening in my body. How can I come back to myself? How can I come back to my center? How can I be come back to alignment? You know, And um, for me with grief specifically, the only way for me to do that is to actually feel it. So I mean, there's a story in the book where I'm sitting in a, well, I'm actually at CVS. And um, one of the through lines of the book is that I was, my, my father was dying. And so I was very actively a part of his life through his passing. And um, my mother had asked me to go to CVS to get some more insurer, which was the only thing that he could tolerate and I didn't know how long he had to live. And this wasn't a conscious thought, but I stood in the aisle and I said, should I get a six pack? Should I get a case? How long does he have? And in that moment, the emotions that I had been trying so hard to keep at bay just started to come up like the flood that went into my garage this mm -hmm. morning. And I ran out of CVS. I was like trying not to let anybody see me, you know, and I got into my car and I just started to sob like, let it out in a way that I hadn't in the four and a half years that I'd gone through this experience with him. And after that experience, I said to myself, it was, I was almost like in a hallucinogenic state or whatever, but I could feel this level of medicine coursing through my body. And I was like, if feeling this feeling could help me feel even the slightest bit better, why have I been so hell bent, bent on avoiding it? And what does this mean I have to do next? And it was about, as my therapist would say, you know, exploring the various griefs and traumas that I had been working so hard to hold at bay that were all coming home to roost during this time of extreme loss. Yeah, that's such a relatable story. Like, <laughs> yeah. how often are we scared to feel something so we don't, and then it seeps out in the most inconvenient moments? <laughs> like of all time we're like trying to get this errand done at the store um and 
Yeah, that's that's super relatable. Thank you for sharing that because I think a lot of people listening be like, "Yep, sounds about right." Yeah, sounds like me. I've never, <laughs> yeah, I've never experienced quite that, but I know we all know that feeling of like just trying, yeah. just doing something so mundane, and it's not. It's very you you feel like the pro- profundity. Is that the word? Is that a word? Profundity. It is now, girl. It is. It is now. <laughs> I feel like it's a word, profundity <laughs> of what good. it is that you're actually doing. Uh, yeah. Speaking of your dad, I know that we're about to head over to the Patreon. Um, but before we go, I really wanted, you mentioned so many like life lessons that he gives you in, towards the end. And I, I want to know for the listeners what you think has stuck with you the most, maybe the most, uh, maybe not the most important one, but I think you know what I'm saying. Like the one that you want to leave people with, or maybe two uh, that you feel they should have. You're so greedy. I know. <laughs> Give us three. Why not? No, just Ooh, my gosh. <laughs> more and more and more. Um, so the first thing is uh, make your golden years now. And I'd say that's the most important thing that I can share that was beautiful wisdom from him. So he had just retired and sold his business. And, you know, every single one of us, we think, well, I'll, I'll save this and I'll do this later. And at some point when I have more space and I've checked this box and I've done this and the kids are off to school and la, 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 then I'll live the life that I want. Then I'll go on the trip. Then I'll, you know, whatever your, your desire is. And then he got sick and then it became clear that he was dying. And so even though the length of his life had changed. I watched him intentionally ratchet up the quality of his life in four years. And so he spent every day making his life more golden. And I wish that he was here now to continue that and that I could do that with him. And I can't in this form, but those words have changed what I say yes to, what I say no to, my willingness to be fully myself, whether somebody likes it or not, is none of my business, right? It's just like, what what do I want? If I have a limited amount of time and there's something like the average, I don't know the exact number, but if you think about the average woman's lifespan in the US, it's you're gonna live about 4,000 and some odd weeks. 4,000 and some odd weeks, I'm 52 years old. I don't um, like that. How many weeks? have now doesn't mean you're not going to live to a hundred and blow past the average, but you got to track with me on what the point is. Right. So the point is, is that if you only have a certain amount of time left and you've lived a lot of it already, are you going to waste it? Or are you going to start to say, what is a choice that I can make today that would make my life more golden? And it's the small things. It's not necessarily like, Hey, the three of us are going to jump on a jet to Paris after this. Yeah which would be lovely. That as would be well. lovely. <laughs> right. And maybe we will do that. But it's like, sometimes we think it's not good enough unless it's the jet to Paris or whatever right. your thing is. Right. But what I'm saying is, is like, what are the micro moments throughout the day that can make your life more golden that you're not giving yourself now? Do those things. Don't wait. Because you want to get to the end of your life and you want to drop the mic. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. What a legend. What's your dad's first name? Ken. Ken. We love you, Ken. What a guy. Yeah, we do. <laughs> yes, <laughs> what a guy. What a guy. Love him. What is true? Name? Oh, man. This has been great. This has been such a good, juicy, dare I say it, Lindsay hates mm-hmm. juicy, juicy conversation. <laughs> but it's Chris Carr. You have to say juicy. It's funny. I guess so. <laughs> I guess I'll allow it. 
Alrighty. So before we head over to the Patreon and chit chat a little bit more and continue having fun and being deep and all these great things, can you please point people where they can grab your book? I'm sure it's everywhere. We're going to link to it, obviously, and where they can work with you, learn more about you, explore and take in more of your medicine. Yes. Thank you for asking. So it's available where books are sold. You can find me at chriscar.com and on Instagram, I'm at crazy sexy Chris. That's right. Keeping it sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Keeping it real. You, you guys are the best. I'm so grateful for your time. Oh, thank you. This was so fun. Yeah. We're grateful for yours. Thanks for coming on our pod and sharing your wisdom and your energy and your fun, just lighthearted energy. I think people gravitate towards your work because you have a way of making things still fun yeah funny and like especially when we're exploring these like heavy topics such as grief like one of the heaviest emotions anyone can feel in their life I think it's important to have that duality and have that balance so thanks for bringing your unique perspective to the world we appreciate it and if you guys want more we're going to patreon to party so go to patreon.com slash high vibe become a member for a tiny amount per month and it helps us keep the lights on so we appreciate you we love you have a wonderful week and maybe longer and we'll see you soon bye thanks so much for tuning into the show thank you to everybody who has left a review and shared the podcast with friends and family we super appreciate it it really helps the show a lot especially because our goal is to get over 1 million downloads before the end of 2023 and we definitely need and appreciate your help to do it You can further support the show by joining patreon.com slash high vibe to get exclusive content, extended episodes, bonuses, and more. Thanks again for listening. We love you so much. And we'll be back next week with another new episode. Bye. Bye.